Welcome to Body Ecology Living, everybody that's listening. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, this is a podcast with Tess Masters, who at the time that we've done the podcast, she's over in Australia, but she is very well known as the Blender Girl. And she has for years just put amazing recipes for smoothies. She's been a big advocate for Body Ecology. And on her website, she even has Body Ecology smoothie recipes. Um, we talk about uh, the benefits of having a smoothie, maybe some just some things you don't want to put in your smoothie that are not right for you. And I think the main focus of this talk is bioindividuality. Like we are all so unique. So how are you going to make a smoothie for you? Uh, this podcast is loaded with information. I, I think I'm thinking as we're moving along, I'm thinking, wow, I hope people don't feel overloaded with tips and information but so therefore i encourage you to watch it more than once but tess is an amazing woman and her whole she's so happy and bubbly and so dedicated to creating a better world that um you're going to love her energy too so let's get started i don't even know where to begin telling you what's in this podcast because there's just so much there but it's a podcast you will probably never forget please share it with other people so let's just dive in. These are extraordinary times, but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, on taking care of your gut and of course your brain, but most of all, on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. Well, thank you everyone for joining Body Ecology Living podcast today. And um, I have a special guest. I've known her for a very long time, it seems, even though we don't really, well, she lives in Australia and I don't live there, but um, we've known about each other's work even longer than we have known each other and we don't talk that often but we kind of follow each other's work and we thought it would be really fun to do a podcast um so tess masters is known as the wonder girl and she has well i mean just an amazing resume i'm going to just read it she's a very high in demand spokesperson and she is a recipe developer and i want to talk about that some challenges to for her and but she's been in all kinds of places like magazines like real simple um Insta, prevention cosmopolitan shape glamour clean eating yoga journal vegetarian times and the reason you know she's so popular the topic that she's an expert in is which is on blenders like recipes like smoothies made in a blender and by the way you know she's a spokesperson for vitamix that's the the blender she promotes Oh, no, not anymore. I haven't been doing not that anymore? for years. No, no, oh, no, no, no. Do you have one you promote? Well, I mean, I love Vitamix. I mean, KitchenAid mm -hmm. makes a great um, mid-range blender, but no, I'm not affiliated with any blender company anymore. Oh, okay, good. We'll clear that up right from the start. <laughs> anyway, she's a real expert on smoothies and, and using the blender to make things. And I have wanted to have this conversation with her for years, really, because um, I love certain things about smoothies. 
Uh, one thing is that they are um, actually made a list. First of all, I always prefer them over smoothies because they have more fiber in them. And also, I think it's a great way to, you know, get a lot of nutrients in one drink. Um, you can, if um, unless you put certain ingredients in there, but you can make up two mornings worth and drink uh, some of it, you know, like say on Monday, and then other Monday, Tuesday morning, you drink it again. So it can be very convenient, but um, I have some issues with it too, and how people are making it. So when when we started um, connecting with each other, I said, "Well, what should we talk about?" Because you know we don't want to do a whole podcast just on smoothies and. She loved the idea, which I do too, of um, the bio-individuality. In other words, it's what I've been saying for 30 years, the principle of uniqueness, because uh, everybody agrees with that now in functional medicine. We're very unique. And, um, you know, it was a new concept before. And we are very individual because we have different genes. We have different infections going on in our body. We might live in a really hot climate like Hawaii or Right now, uh, Tess is down in Australia, so it's winter there, right? Mm-hmm. It's cold. Yeah, but I'm in hot Charleston, South Carolina, so it's very hot, ni- over 90 degrees today. So, you know, we're going to be drawn to certain foods. Like, I need, I would need a smoothie that would cool my body. And she, you know, might, uh, I don't know if it's impossible to do this, but can you make a smoothie that warms you up? Uh, or yeah. Or yeah. Is yes. it summer food? Yes. So no. Well, I mean, that is the that is one of the biggest questions that I get. How do I enjoy smoothies and juices and not feel damp and cold? So this is a really, really popular question because there, you know, different foods have different thermal properties. So we have naturally cooling foods, there's warming foods, and then there's foods that are sort of more neutral in thermal temperature. So you know, there's no doubt that most um, fruits are cooling and so it's very hydrating and all that sort of stuff. But there are certain ingredients that you can be mindful about adding to your smoothies that naturally warm the body. So my mm. favorite one is ginger. So that naturally warms the body. Cinnamon naturally warms the body. Um, fennel is another one of my favorites. It naturally warms the body. And then you've got all your chilies, right? So you've got, you know, I like to put a pinch of cayenne pepper or some green chili, some jalapeno or serrano. Um, you can put red pepper flakes, things like that, right? So I think that there are ways that you can add ingredients to smoothies so that they they don't cool your body as much. Um, I'm also a huge fan of making savory smoothies. So making basically they're gazpachos, aren't they, right? They're ostensibly um, cold soups, right? So I, because I don't tend to eat a lot of fruit, um, I will lean more towards savory smoothies. The other really important thing about Um, when you're developing your own smoothie recipes and what you're putting into the blender is. I think that one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they put too much fruit in the smoothie. So, you know, we can't absorb so much sugar at any one time. It hits our bloodstream so quickly. And so we want to sort of put the brakes on the assimilation of the sugars, right? So you want to make sure that you're balancing your fruit smoothie with some protein and healthy fats. So you could do that by adding some nuts and seeds, right? So adding a little bit of um, blanched slivered almonds is one of my favorite things because they're more alkaline forming. Um, Adding a tablespoon of chia seeds or hemp seeds 
seeds or flax seeds. You know, adding a half of an avocado is a healthy fat. Adding some, you know, coconut yogurt would be a healthy fat that's also fermented, adding probiotics and things like that, right? So I think that, you know, the nuts and seeds add some protein. You're getting some amino acids with the coconut and the avocado. But I do think that it's a really important thing to consider when you're making your smoothie. So um, how can you make, give me an example of a savory smoothie. And also I just wanted to throw in there when you were thinking of different ingredients. Um, I don't recommend almonds and almonds butter because they're so high in oxalates. And I definitely want to talk about that in a little while. But sunflower butter, sun butter, we, well, I don't know if you have it over there, but we have sun butter. And I've talked to the company. Um, they don't have oxalates. It's been tested and children with autism are extremely sensitive to uh, oxalates and they are not, they don't have a problem with sun butter. So maybe a tablespoon of that could be a nice. Yes, sun butter is great. So I remember when sun butter first came out, it's an amazing thing. You know, when I used to speak at the food allergy conferences and, and be a lot in that world and still, you know, a lot of people come to my website because it's free of a lot of the allergen um causing foods, right? So yes, sun butter is a great nut-free, almond-free, you know, oxalate-free option for sure. And it tastes good. It tastes <laughs> add that. Yeah, it tastes great. You know, and sunflower seeds, you know, are great for magnesium and other things, right? So it's, it's yeah, that's a great option. Uh, in terms of a savory smoothie, oh gosh, you know, obviously, if you're sensitive to nightshades, this is not a good option. But if you are not sensitive to nightshades and they're not pro-inflammatory for you, then obviously tomato is a very popular thing as a base, right? So it's tomatoes, cucumbers, spinach or bok choy, kale. I know you were talking about oxalates, so you want to be choosing some of the, the you know, the lower oxalate greens such as baby bok choy or something like that. Um, baby bok choy is not something that people typically think about adding to a smoothie, but it is so great because it's really mild in flavor, you know. So if you were to grab for collard greens or, um, you know, some of the more really assertive greens, it can get pretty muddy, what I call sort of earthy, you know, and gritty pretty quickly, right, and you want to lift it. So I think that those are good options. I always cream it with some avocado, you know, just to get, you know, some some of that glutathione and all of those beautiful antioxidants and um, healthy fats and, you know, monounsaturated fats and all that beautiful stuff. So I would cream it with some avocado because if you add carrot, for example, it can add a, quite a mealy texture, even in a high-speed blender, right? So um, I like to add some carrot. If you don't have a high-speed blender, grating the carrot so that it's not as mealy is a really great option. Then I like to add some spice. So I talked about adding a little bit of chili, adding some you know, red pepper flakes or a little bit of cayenne pepper, which we know stimulates hydrochloric acid. It's really good as a prebiotic. Um, but in addition to that, a really big thing that I think is a great tip for smoothies is adding lemon or lime zest or lemon or lime juice, which we also <laughs> know is alkaline forming, but it helps to lift and brighten the flavors. And then what's really important is we talked about 
smoothies during the winter. So this is a little bit counterintuitive, but you have to make them cold because our taste buds are temperature sensitive. We can't taste the full dimension of flavors at extremely hot or extremely cold temperatures. So that works against us somewhat when we're making soups, for example. You know, you would never season your soup and finish and add herbs right when it's piping hot off the stove because you can't get your your mouth around the full spectrum of flavors. With smoothies, that phenomenon works for us in our favor because it really lifts the earthiness and the pungent flavor of really really uh, assertive ingredients, right? Like beets, like um, murky greens and things like that that I'm talking about. So you can sort of really layer your flavors. I have to say that, you know, I will add, like I said, fennel, I will add, you know, onion, I will add a clove of raw garlic. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do. I will add fresh herbs. So basil, um, cilantro, mint, parsley, a big favorite to mine. Sometimes I'll add rosemary. I mean, there's all kinds of things. So if you think about Basically, it's just liquefied food, right? So if you think about the flavor profiles of your favorite dishes, you can start to add those ingredients into a smoothie, right? But where where the experience and the sort of experimentation comes in is that you're not cooking it. And even when you are heating it with the friction heat of the blade, you know, when you're heating a soup in a high-speed blender, for example, you're not actually still cooking the food. So the, the meshing of the flavors doesn't doesn't take place so that the amounts and the quantities, the way that you do it is a little bit different. But I think it's one of those things where I I actually went to this hilarious event where they deliberately, they had 10 people on the panel and they all made the most disgusting smoothie they could possibly put together. Like undrinkable, plug your nose, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to drink this kind of smoothie, right? And my challenge was I had to go around and I had to improve and make the smoothie drinkable so that everybody would drink it. And yeah, but there isn't a smoothie you can't do that to. So that's what's really cool about it is when you start to, you know, and in the Blender Girl Smoothies book, there's a whole chart for how you can do this, right? How you layer your flavors and make them taste good and that kind of stuff, right? But I think it's a formula and the more the more you do it, the better you get at it, right? Just like anything in life. But I think what I love about smoothies is it just levels the playing field in the kitchen, right? It just makes healthy fast food possible. It's really easy. It's literally child's play. A child, you know, a teenager can do it. It's fabulous. But the other big thing I will say is you have to sip them slowly. Like a lot of us are gulping our smoothie, which leads to all kinds of digestive issues, blood sugar spikes and crashes, all that sort of stuff, gas, bloating. A lot of people feel very bloated after they drink smoothies. And that can be for a number of reasons, like too much fruit, too much sugar, like I was talking about, um, but also just just drinking them way too fast. So I think just you know, swishing the liquids around in your mouth. Because remember, the first phase of digestion begins in our mouth. We want the salivary amylase to get around those carbohydrates. So I think there is some things to just keep in mind. But um, like I said, just practice, 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 and you just get better at it. Well, would you add probiotic powders like I do? And also, um, I add things like we have a new product called Echo Bloom, and it's a prebiotic. Well, it's actually three unique ingredients that are make a great prebiotic so they're going to feed the, the bacteria but we also have a drink it's actually meant it's a powerful probiotic made there in australia and it's uh cocobiotic and you know energy biotic and all but i'll put in like a quarter of a cup of that and you're getting an extraordinary probiotic and it's easy you almost don't even 
know it's in there, but I think it's a good thing to do. Totally. So, yeah, I mean, we can talk about how to add, you know, fermented foods and probiotics and prebiotics. I mean, that's a great thing to do. So I love, you know, I'll add coconut water kefir. I love your cocoa biotic. I love adding, you know, some probiotic powder. You know, there's all kinds of, oh, gosh, if you want to get to the next level about what you can do to increase the nutrient density um, and the gut health promoting qualities of your smoothie. Yeah. I mean, of course. So adding a little bit of that is amazing. I think another thing that's really, really powerful is adding a tablespoon of green banana flour because it adds resistant starch, which helps with our butyrate production, which in turn helps with our GLP-1 production, which in turn helps with our blood sugar regularity, our insulin, optimizing our insulin, um, you know, sensitivity. um, And that in turn helps with, you know, our hormone um, production. So I think that that's that's another big one that I would recommend um, that I really, really love. It's totally different than adding a banana, right? So bananas are very high in sugar. A lot of people are very sensitive to those. They cause gas and bloating, particularly in the body ecology community, you know, we don't consume them, particularly for people, you know, on body ecology stage one and two. Um, But green banana flour is a different thing, right? So I think that that can be a good thing. Obviously, you know, high quality unsweetened yogurts, depending on what your dietary preferences are. I think those can be great. But yeah, I, I love, look, I have to say that I will even add beet kvass. I will even add sauerkraut juice. I'll add kimchi juice from my homemade kimchi. So that's a really great thing to do um, with a smoothie. You know, I will drink those as tonics as well, you know, uh, which are amazing. But, yeah, that's a great thing to add. Those are all great things to add. And, you know, so up until now, I'm sure people listening to this only thought of smoothies as being something sweet, like a dessert almost. There are smoothie franchises all over. You can even walk into most Whole Foods and see the smoothie bar. But when you look up there on the menu, even if you get to make your own, uh, they're all very fruit-based. Now, I did want to just, okay, first of all, I do want to say that not everybody's sensitive to oxalates, but years ago when I was really, really working with kids with autism and uh, for some reason they were extremely sensitive to high oxalate foods, when they were tested by Great Plains labs, they were shown to have issues with oxalates big time. And always also with yeast. So I want to just say that people with yeast infections, which is millions of people, they are going to be sensitive to oxalates as long as the yeast infection is active and out there and not under control because the yeast are also making oxalates. So if you eat a food high in oxalates and the yeast are making oxalates, you're going to have a reaction. So it's really important to understand that because there are lists. Susan Owens has a list. Um, Sally K. Norton has a new book out uh, on superfoods. Uh, that's not exactly the name. Sally K. Norton, which is her list. They vary a little bit. And one thing about oxalates, they're going to be a little bit different. Like, for example, in New Zealand, pecans are very low. But maybe somewhere else, like Georgia, pecans might be higher. So, you know, it's a really tricky topic. Um, seeds, flax seeds are low. Chia seeds are super high. And yet I like to add some seeds, especially ground flax seeds are not unground, but when they're ground, then they really become fiber and we do need more fiber. So we do make those short chain fatty acids. Um, Anyway, so I've been studying oxalates for a very long time and I see 
how many people are now on them because almond milk is really popular, um, beets are super high, and you know, people were when I first started really into juicing, and juicing was beets and carrots, you know, and uh, they were so extremely juices were very, very high in sugar, and I thought, wow, they don't have fiber. They're super high in sugar. They're very damaging to people. And people that would, you know, eat them all the time bragging because they thought they were having this great food aged very quickly. Um, <clears throat> so, excuse me. Um, so, I think it's important to know if you're sensitive to oxalates. And one way you can test that is you can take a high oxalate food and then just by itself and then eat it. Not, not with anything else, just by itself. And then see if in a little while, even the next morning, you have a reaction. Like everybody, it, they cause pain. For me, if I have a, like I say, a Chinese herb, and I don't know if it's high in oxalates or not, my left eye starts getting very dry and achy. It's a very common symptom and very common among the autism community. And some of the children have scratched their eyes out because of so much pain. Almond flour, like you go down the health foods, the aisle of a health food store, and every delicious cracking, cracker, cookie, box mix, all of them are made with almond flour. It seems really hard to find them, especially if they taste good, to not have almond flour. That was a big, big issue for these kids because they were having, their mother wanted to, you know, still give them pancakes and breads and uh, birthday cakes and things, but they were using almond flour. So they got into big, big trouble with that. Um, anyway, so I just want people to do become aware that oxalates are a problem for a large number of people. And when you make your smoothie, you know, don't put in chia seeds, but look for the alternative. Flax seeds will be the alternative. So I love the concept of smoothies, but I think they need a lot of education around whether they are unique to you. I mean, are they the right uh, smoothie for you. Um, now, another issue is histamine. Histamine is a huge problem uh, besides oxalates and uh, FODMAPs. Like so many people have problems in the small intestine uh, and they get a lot of gas and bloating when they eat a lot of foods. So I wanted to bring up in the podcast today um, something that I tell people to get all the time. And it was, um, so there's some apps that you can go to and one is an app called Five Maps. It's from Monash University down there by you. Well, in Australia, yes. 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 Uh, so they mm. came out years ago. Now everybody loves what they've done. They actually did research on, on all these different individual foods, and they said, do these cause glass and, gas and bloating because they have certain kinds of sugars in them, like lactose is a sugar in milk that will cause gas and bloating. So, uh, you know, even if you ferment your milk into yogurt, it still has some lactose in it. But, you know, fructose, fructose, uh, there's, a, there's a handful, like six of them, I think, all together. But what I like for people to do is spend the $9, almost $10, and download this Monash University app. And then you go there and you say, okay, let me check pomegranate. Let me check cranberry. Let me check, um, you know, avocado. Well, avocado is a high histamine food, as wonderful as it is. You might be better off putting in a little bit of MCT oil to get some fats. So um, it's, a, it's a real, I mean, I would say that the average person who wants to do smoothies should do smoothies. But you want to begin to educate yourself on, our, you know, what's the best recipe for you? 
So surprisingly, I don't know if you've ever heard of dragon fruit, but you can buy it over here frozen in these little individual packets. Um, coconut meat is um, like the, from the young coconut, not from the mature coconut. It is also, um, it's, it's a low FODMAP, it doesn't cost gas and bloating, but I often make a smoothie with the dragon fruit, the coconut, the meat from the young coconut, and then I'll put in vegetables like cucumber or lettuce or a piece of, you know, one nice piece of kale because I want to get that Sephora thing. I love your idea of using um, bok choy, baby bok choy, because it's actually real creamy and it's a nuts substitute for spinach, which is super high in oxalates. Yeah, so I mean, I'll I stop talking for a little while. No, no. I mean, I think, you know, that's why we're talking about bioindividuality, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we could be talking about smoothies. We could be talking about soups. We could be talking about salads. We could be talking about pasta. We could be talking about anything. And that same principle will, would apply, which is that it's really important to know what is appropriate for you. And I think that it's just really important to be making data-driven decisions about your health. And so that can only be done in consultation with your practitioner, right? So you've got to be having well, something well, that can interpret data, right? Well, I do like, think you can do your own testing. Like when I don't know, like let's say I want to take a blend of herbs for osteoporosis to have better bones. Well, I'll, I'll take the, you know, a few of them and then I'll wait and see if I have a reaction. And then one of those herbs or maybe all of those herbs don't work for me because I do have this oxalate issue. Um, anyway, a lot of people have gut problems and I think it's totally changed how we react today. Like maybe another generation ago, people weren't so sensitive as they are today. They don't have to be such sleuths, food detectives as they have to be today. But I think you can, you mean, definitely, if you can find a good functional medicine practitioner, that's perfect because you need that support. I like the idea of working together with a team. They might know things that you don't even know that they'll bring up. But, you know, ultimately, you should be able to tell if your body's reacting. Yeah, but I, going back to the FODMAPs thing, you know, obviously, you know, FODMAP, that, 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 protocol was developed, you know, at Monash University, as you said, in Melbourne, Australia. I know a lot of FODMAPs dietitians and practitioners. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting as more and more information comes out about FODMAPs um, and these carbohydrates and the reactions that you can have. I, I do think that it's really important to be doing that elimination diet and that discovery process with somebody mm -hmm. that can help you interpret that data, like a FODMATS practitioner, because we've got whole sectors of society now staying off all of those FODMAP foods all mm -hmm. the time long term. And it's only like a whole elimination is only supposed to be done short term. I think mm -hmm. it's eight weeks or 10 weeks or something like that. But th there's a very methodical way that you can go through the process of discovering which foods are problematic for you. And mm -hmm. it's different for everybody, right? So, you know, Donna, you know, you and I were talking about this um, before, you know, you were telling me about, you know, nutrigenomics and genomic nutrition years ago, you know, and it's so exciting, right, for people to really dive in deep about what's appropriate, you know, what is appropriate for you. And so I think that there are these apps are so wonderful, like you're saying, as, as a first point of entry where you can really start to develop that anecdotal data on your own. Mm -hmm. But I just 
you know, the magic happens when you combine that anecdotal data of the self-testing that you do, and then you have a great, you know, functional med- med- medical practitioner who can then go, mm-hmm. oh, okay, so when you eat this, you feel this way, and these very clear patterns start to develop when you keep a food diary and you do these tests right at home, and then you put the other piece in and you have these really informed conversations and then that's when you can find solutions and you can really mm-hmm. start well, to eat strategic. You know, I completely agree with you, Tess, because like, for example, this really surprised me. Broccoli causes a lot of gas and bloating for people. I have this delicious soup with broccoli and fennel, by the way. And, you know, it would cause gas and bloating. So for a lot of people and me too. So anyway, but what I discovered as I began to you know, learning maps better. It's the crowns that are fine. It's the stems of the broccoli that cause the gas and bloating. And you may not discover that. I didn't for a while, but a practitioner would know that. So they would say, oh, yeah, right. the crowns are okay. Don't avoid the broccoli because it is a good source of saporaphane. Don't put in the stems. Uh, that's a great example. But I also wanted to, uh, because you mentioned uh, the peels of oranges and lemons and limes and things. Um, the peels are incredibly high in oxalates, but the lemon and lime juice is not. So they, they're a great thing to add. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, like, like let's say, I don't know if basil is high in oxalates or not, but let's pretend it is. And let's say you put a, a little bit of basil in and, it, and, and you, um, you're just putting a little bit in. Like the amount of oxalates you're adding matters a lot too and that's true with FODMAP like the, one of the reasons I love this app is because you can pick the food and then uh, click on it like say you let's say you type in um, cranberries and you know find out if they're raw they're fine if they're um, pomegranate is high but okay so you're gonna try to figure out what to put in your smoothie but um, the thing is the um, oh my gosh I forgot my train of thought oh yeah so you can click on it and it'll open up and it will tell you the reason it's a FODMAP is because it's high in fructose. Now, I did a great podcast with Tom O'Brien because I put out an article, a newsletter article, and in there I said, you know, you might be reacting to wheat, which is a FODMAP, by the way, not because of the gluten in the wheat. It may be that you're reacting to it because it's a FODMAP and it's fructans, F-R-U-C-T-A-N-S. That is, that's what's causing you to have the gut reaction. So Tom, somebody told Tom, I said that, uh, put out that newsletter and he called me, you know, we're friends. So he said, hey, you're going to mislead people and they're going to start eating gluten again. And uh, so we did a podcast together and we covered this a lot. Uh, it's really, the bottom line is it takes a lot of education to learn all this. So yes, I would agree with you. Find a good practitioner. And, and the Monash University has uh, practitioners that are trained. They have mm-hmm. listed there, right? Yes, they do. And they're all over the world. So yeah. there's tons of them in the United States. If you live in the United States, if you're in Canada, if you're in Australia, it doesn't matter where you are. And, you know, people do telehealth, you know, all mm-hmm. over the world. 
way now. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I do think that, you know, going back to your your a comment about the amounts of things, that's also really interesting, right, where you may mm-hmm. be able to tolerate a small amount of something. You may be able to tolerate something in the cooked form or the raw form, you know, and this is all the stuff that you can really get into when you're working with somebody who really, really knows about this stuff, you mm-hmm. know. I'm not a fan of Dr. Google. I'm not a fan of Dr. Friend or Dr. Neighbor. And just because it worked for, you know, so and so doesn't mean it's appropriate for you. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that it's just, it's just really interesting um, to see what happens when somebody's really helping interpret things for you. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's so much information, right? My friend calls it infobesity. We're all, you know, just mm-hmm. like, really so much information mm-hmm. and so much content all the time. But if you don't actually know how to apply the information for your specific needs, then you mm-hmm. can't transformation right you can't actually affect long-term change and get real results that are appropriate for you and i think you know you're right the education piece is so key because there's so many different factors that that come into play with what is appropriate for us so our genes you know i know you're you're really big on this you know our genes our age you know our health status our health goals our activity levels food intolerances environment stress you know personality all this sort of stuff really informs what we're able to do you know and i think that knowing that and understanding that and that's why i'm loving all these new studies coming out about the gut microbiome and really getting into the nutrigenomics piece of it you know and our individual gut microbiome and what would be appropriate you know and how our particular gut microbiome recognizes certain bacteria and other it's just so fantastic right we're in the infancy of it but it's really exciting and so and i know that you're a very big part of that so you know, I, you know, the information piece, get the information, you know, and make data driven decisions. I think that's just really, really key. It's certainly something that all of my dietitians on my team and all of our programs, that's, that's the really core focus of the message of what we share, which is making data driven decisions, right? And getting the anecdotal data in consultation with the clinical data and then they're making really informed decisions from there. But yeah, I mean, there's so many foods, you know, you see these food lists you know all over the internet foods for this foods for that well that's only part of the story as you've been saying right if those Mm -hmm. foods are not appropriate for you and your body then they're actually not going to have that effect it's like i was saying with the nightshades bell pepper can be anti-inflammatory for somebody but if you're intolerant to it then it becomes a pro-inflammatory food right, Mm -hmm. which causes stress on the body, which in turn, you know, has wreaks havoc with all kinds of other things. So, yeah, just being informed and figuring out what works for you is is such a key piece of of better nutrition. Well, you know, Tess, too, it takes time to learn it. I mean, I'm sure every single practitioner will tell you that they they never stop learning. They learned as much as they could and they keep adding to that body of knowledge so that that's what makes them really good at what they do. You can't, as a beginner, expect to do that. But I will say one of the good things about this app that I like uh, is that the, the Monash University app, because I'll tell you about another one in a second, but um, that Monash University app is a fantastic way to learn. Like, so I'll walk in the store and I'll say, hmm, wait, I forgot. Is papaya okay? And uh, it, does it cause gas and bloating? Well, it doesn't. Surprise, surprise. That um, if it's... Um, it's just really hard to get it right 
I'm probably about 10 this year, and every three every single one of them out. Even went back to Whole Foods where I got them and said, look, there's, you need to find another source for your papaya because none of them are good when you open them up. So that's another thing is getting them, getting stuff. But so that what the cool thing about the app is you can click on papaya and it'll tell you if it's a five member or not. But you can um, click it again and it drops, a little drop down comes along and it will tell you that a cup is a problem, but a half a cup isn't a problem. And then there's another app that I really love for people also to buy, and it's called Histamine Intolerances. So that's another thing to check out. If you are having histamine reactions, you might want to check on this app, um, like um, strawberries are and raspberries are high in histamine, but not if you just have six strawberries, they're okay. But a whole box of them is, is going to be a reaction to cause a reaction too. So uh, I do love these the fact that we have these apps because they're educating us. And until we learn, we can check you know check them. And they also explain why why they're causing that problem. Is yeah, it really gluten, or is it the fructin, or you know, is because it it's got lactose in it, or you know, mannose or sorbitol or something, you know, those are, that's the ingredient that is causing a problem. But uh, if you take a much smaller amount, like a third of a cup or six raspberries or something, then sorbitol isn't an issue anymore. So you really have to have uh, something like this to, to check, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I use it. great, they're great tools and it's a great starting point for discoverability for sure. But, you know, I think the next level of that is, you know, then really applying a systemic approach to what's going on in your body and how your systems are all speaking to each other. You know, I think that a lot of people, you know, we talk about immune boosting, but I think it's more appropriate to think about immune balancing. Mm -hmm. And how are you balancing the different systems in your body, whether it's your, your immune system, your endocrine system, you know, your digestive system, your gut microbiome and things like that. Like, why are you intolerant to these certain foods, right? And so mm -hmm. I think when people start really addressing this in a systemic way with qualified practitioners, that's when you get to the juice. That's when you get to the magic, right? Because... Cutting out certain foods is a strategy, but it's only one strategy. And so when you start to figure out how you can balance your immunity, like this, it, it's alarming to me how many people don't know that they have a thyroid imbalance right? And there's all kinds of issues with the thyroid, right? Which, you know, is part of your endocrine system, right? Which affects, you know, your hormone function and all of these things, which is inextricably connected to your gut microbiome, right? And this gut brain connection and the enteric nervous system and stuff like that, right? So when you, when you like, so why I keep going back to working with a good practitioner who understands and has spent a lifetime educating themselves about this and continuing to learn, staying up with the latest research to your point, Donna, I think that's when you can really start to dial in your nutrition in a much more nuanced way. So I love, I love those apps you're talking about. I know about them. I've used them. They're amazing, but I just want to make sure that we're all also sharing with people that it's one strategy. So you just definitely want to make sure that you're having your blood work done at least once a year. I'm going to say twice, 
but having your annual checkup with your doctor. And some people are seeing their doctor more than once a year because you may have a specialist, you may have all these other things you need to be doing, checking in on your tests. But I think that the knowledge, to your point, Donna, is the power, right? Having this knowledge about your body, what's going on, taking these tests at home, trying different foods, eating it, collecting the data, discussing it with your practitioner, having your tests, all of these different things, right, will help you get to solutions to understand how to fuel your body efficiently so that it runs better, right? Because life is just more fun when you're strong and healthy and vibrant and your systems are firing the way that they're supposed to. And you're aging more slowly, which is very, very important. And it seems to be a a very hot topic, even among young people, which I love seeing that. Uh, so what you're talking about, I hope everybody really got what Tessa's saying, that what we're talking about is, so if you go have an issue with oxalates, if you have an issue with histamine, for example, find out why, like, uh, like histamine, there's something going on in the gut. I have had so many people, even friends say, oh, I have mast cell, you know, dysbiosis, or I can't eat all these foods that are high in histamine, but then I say, but okay, what's going on in your gut? Let's fix the gut and see if we can't get uh, you where you're not so sensitive to histamine foods and then slowly introduce them, find the ones that are okay. Because like take cauliflower, it is a FODMAP, but you might be fine with cauliflower. So that again, is why you have to, you know, do some testing on your own. But what you're really saying is, so look underneath that, symptom the, this reaction to all these foods to the real issue which is most likely a gut issue and you want to fix the gut and i think that is really where working with the practitioner is very important yes Exactly. I completely agree. You know, if your gut is in trouble, the rest of your health is in trouble. And you have been teaching this for decades, Donna, you know, and, you know, that that old adage of you are what you eat, it's not actually accurate. You're technically what you digest and absorb. So often it's an absorbability issue. You know, and so we we don't, you know, the villi in the small intestine just doesn't get enough press, if you ask me, because those are those little hairs in the small intestine that grab onto the good stuff, filter things out, you know, and so much of the absorption takes place in that small intestine, right? And we only think of the large intestine as you know, a place where we excrete waste. Well, it also mm-hmm. is a place where digestion takes place as well, right? And so in particular, when we're talking about short-chain fatty acids, postbiotics, we've been talking about the GLP, you know, the butyrate and things like that, mm-hmm. right? Which in turn helps with the insulin and the GLP-1 and all that kind of thing, right? So th- for those of you going through menopause, you know, this becomes even more important in terms of providing relief for those kinds of symptoms, right? And going back to cruciferous vegetables, you know, you've been talking about collagen flour and broccoli and FODMAPs and things like that. There's all kinds of reasons why cruciferous vegetables like Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, broccoli, kale, things like that could be problematic. Cabbage. There's so many of them. Arugula, which you have a rocket down there. I was surprised to learn that's a cruciferous vegetable. Right. It was like lettuce or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
they're, they're in these cross categories, right? We think of those things mm-hmm. as leafy greens and things, but they're also in the cruciferous vegetable family, right? And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we see examples of this all the time, and I'm sure you do in the body ecology community, where when you clean up your gut health and digestion, you balance your gut microbiome, your absorption is better, you're taking in more fiber, you're figuring out which foods work for you and which foods are problematic for you, to your point about the histamine intolerances, you know, that kind of oxalates, whatever, FODMAPs, whatever it might be, that's where this data makes all the difference, right? Where you can start to really understand, huh, at the moment, and I think the at the moment piece, you know, at present is really key because this is what we discover working with people with, you know, FODMAPs is that they may be sensitive temporarily, but when they clean up their systems, their gut health, you know, their, they balance their immune function, their endocrine function, and their, their, their thyroid is working the way it's supposed to, things like that, then potentially foods that were causing problems a year ago aren't anymore. Or said differently, you can tolerate them in small amounts like you were talking about, Donna. So, again, mm-hmm. it is just about you know, that experimenting, you know, that trying, but I don't think that you can fly blind and and I don't think that it's a prudent choice to completely do it on your own. I think that you can collect that anecdotal data, but then I think mm-hmm. that you need help interpreting it and, and forming like a really clear path um, mm-hmm. for what you've done. Because I, you know, like to your point, Donna, the, you know, this is why I love registered dietitians and I think that there's, you know, I love other specialists too, don't get me wrong, but they eat, sleep and breathe how to use food as a tool for functional, you know, for, for health, right, as a functional tool for health. And I think that, you know, there are dietitians that specialise in certain health issues, right, and they work in consultation with surgeons, with, you know, endocrinologists or cardiologists or whatever it might be, right? And I think that there's a lot of misconception about the differences between health coaches, dietitians, and nutritionists, right? So dietitians are people with medical licenses, right? They work in hospitals. They have to continually update their credentials. And so, for example, if you have an oncology issue, if you have some kind of a cancer, you would want to find a food practitioner and practitioners who specialize in your specific kind of cancer, if it was breast cancer or colon cancer or pancreatic cancer. Likewise, if you had, you know, FODMAPs, you determined that that was your specific issue right now, you'd want to go to someone who had just been diving into that, right? Just like, you know, a lot of you have come to body ecology because Donna has spent decades and a lifetime studying candida, you know, and autoimmune conditions and the gut microbiome and stuff like that, right? So again, it is about, there's so much noise out there, particularly on the internet. And I think a lot of clickbait, right? A lot of headlines that might look really great and they're promising these quick wins and solutions. You get into the article and it's just all search engine optimization, right? I think it's about, you know, considering the source of your information, you know, so obviously body ecology gives really credible information. You have great guests on this podcast, but really thinking about where the information is coming from and making sure you're getting, you know, science-based credible information. You know, I 
think that's another piece of it, you know. I um I find um, you know, there I, I come to some articles and I just go, Oh gosh, you know, just like you were talking about, let's get on a podcast because we don't want to mislead people about wheat, right? You were wanting to make sure that you were getting the information out there that was correct, right? But mm-hmm. people well, the Tom did especially right? decades yeah. telling people don't eat gluten. Here's the problem. Right. And I come along and maybe, I'm not sure I'd have to reread the article, maybe it sounded like I was saying, I thought I made that point really clear. I wasn't saying eating wheat, but there was this other thing in wheat that right. we should look at. And it could be a problem. And if you're you know, reacting to five maps, it could be an issue. Um, I mean, I, I'm gluten-free. I have been for decades and I'll never look back. I mean, it is such a huge protein and we have, mm-hmm. you know, mesh of our, of our, you know, intestinal wall has to just stretch to let it in, right? So, no, I'm, I'm totally on board with you about the gluten piece of it. But Well, you know. Tom, too. I mean, Vitacod has been gluten-free, casein-free since the very yeah. beginning. You know, um, I was going to say, so at this point, I have a feeling that, I hope not, but I have a feeling that people are listening, thinking, oh, my God, this is so confusing. She's talking about FODMAP. She's talking about histamine and and Tess is coming in and telling all this other stuff, and I got to work with a practitioner. And um, I'm sure people right now are confused, but I do want to say that body ecology is based on seven principles. One of them is the principle of uniqueness, as I mentioned, but another one is the principle of step by step. So, in the universe that we live in, uh, the universe advances in teeny tiny little increments so that morning comes, and then throughout the day, without us really noticing, teeny tiny little increments, it becomes dark, and then back to light again but you know the universe happens that way and so same with us um in learning something you want to uh you know like you can't do it all right away you want to take little bitty steps at a time learn a few things get comfortable with that and then you know add a few more things to to what you're doing so you don't feel overwhelmed so please don't feel overwhelmed if you're listening to Tess and I and now that is too much information it's a really good point, Donna. I think that um, we're all just aiming to make the next better choice, right? Wait, say that again. We're all just we're all just aiming to-, to make the next better choice, and I think mm-hmm. that it is about that step by step, you know, approach of just wanting to be better. You know, so in our community, mm-hmm. we like to say good, better, or best, not perfect, because perfection mm-hmm. doesn't. Good exist right so it is just about that step by step learning something putting something in place collecting the data noticing what's going on right so this term mindful eating has unfortunately become synonymous with i only eat healthy i'm a healthy eater i do everything perfectly all the time well that's just not realistic and ridiculous and so i prefer a much more gentle approach, which is just paying attention to the eating experience without judgment. And I think the without mm. judgment piece is so key. So I think that, you know, really at the end of the day, if we want to pare it down to one sentence, what we've been talking about today, it is that gentle noticing what foods make me feel good and what foods don't. And I think at the end of the day, that's the message of this conversation, right? Is just generally noticing, huh, when I eat broccoli, I feel like this. Hmm, I wonder why that is. Okay, let me note that down. 
oh, when I feel Mm -hmm. blah, 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 I also feel gassy and bloated or whatever it might be. So I think that if, if it was one tangible takeaway from this conversation, to your point, it would be to just be gently noticing which foods make you feel good and which foods don't. And you are a uh, experiment of one. And nobody, you know, your sister might be able to eat broccoli or ice cream or something and you it doesn't work for you. So another thing I'm kind of, if people are wondering like, okay, I've got this journey that you want to go on. I want to get well. I have all these health problems. So where do I start? So I also like to tell people that there's um, four things you want to be focused on in the beginning as you take your first step. Again, you can't do them all at once. But if you could keep in mind that we have to create energy, because if you don't have any energy, you're not going to, nothing heals, nothing gets better. You can't digest or anything. Hormones can't be made. You don't sleep very well. Energy is essential. So you want to do, you know, really look at, um, does this food give me energy? Uh, Do I have good lifestyle habits where I'm looking into the computer and checking my emails and texts and everything at midnight? So I'm watching scary, high stress, you know, this maybe raising your cortisol, that whatever you're doing to keep you from having the energy you need, you have to really focus on that. And then correct digestion is another one of those four things. Hunger infections and bring that inflammation down. Because when you say you're trying to create balance in your immune system, you just don't want this runaway immune system that's got too much inflammation for because you have infections like viruses or yeast. Or because you have gut, imba- you know, gut issues. That's another reason why we'll have a lot of infection, a lot of inflammation. And then the fourth thing is to cleanse, to detoxify, get get the toxins out. So if you're working on creating energy, correcting digestion, bringing those infections, therefore the inflammation down, and then fourth, uh, detoxifying, uh, which the body just kind of does that anyway. And then of course, as you do all those things, you get more energy. So they're all intertwined, actually, but. Uh, again, I try to, I do try to make it more simple because I know that we were both presenting a lot of information to people. Um, anyway, so <laughs> there was one thing I wanted to actually bring up if we have time. Do you think, do we have a few more minutes? Do, yeah. do I just want to quickly add something to what you were saying though, because okay. what to, to achieve those four things that Donna was talking about, it's about eating plant foods, right? That are appropriate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter what your dietary stripes are, whether you're that being plant, everybody's diet should be plant based and plant based again has become synonymous with veganism or being vegetarian. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying everybody's diet should be based in plants. And then you supplement your intake of quality plant foods, fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, whatever it might be with whatever other high quality foods you want to if you you know if you want to do high quality animal protein if you're a vegan if you're vegetarian whatever it is but i do like the 80 20 rule and i know that you talk yeah. about a lot in body ecology yes. i think want talking about simplifying the message i think at the end of the day that 80 20 rule is simplifying those four things you were talking about right which is 80 yeah. percent of your plate non-starchy vegetables that are appropriate for you and then 20% of other quality foods, right? It's just looking at the composition of your meals and snacks, right? And, you know, eating the rainbow, right? Because they've all got different phytonutrients, right? And different antioxidants and all these different things, right? So getting in that variety, but again, considering what we've been talking about, right? Just noticing mm-hmm. which things work and which things don't. Well, all I right, know you reminded, 
You reminded me of something now. Okay, yeah. We'll talk about this forever. First of all, one of the mistakes that myths out there is that, uh, you know, if you have a histamine reaction to foods, don't eat fermented foods. Well, first of all, they're not all the same. There's a big difference between uh, a fermented beer and a wine and kombucha. And what I teach people to do for years is to use a starter. Why? Because the starter's got plantarum in them, lactobacillus plantarum. And I have so much research on how plantarum degrades histamine and all the other biogenic amines like pitocin and tyramine and all. Um, so, so anyway, I never have an issue with uh, the fermented vegetables the, the way I like to make them with a, a starter just added. So we even have the starter. Um, anyway, so there's a lot of myths out there. And so you do want to go to people that are maybe specialized in that particular element. Like I've been you know, teaching about fermented foods for 30 years, because when I discovered that there's this world in our gut, which I didn't know the word microbiome yet, but it was called the inner, I called it the inner ecosystem. And I thought, okay, so how does it get there? So then I started, you know, looking, looking, looking and discovered that, well, it comes in um, to our body when we're born, if we're lucky. Uh, and, but then what about, we aren't born except one time. So now what? And that's when I realized that the foods we eat are critical for main for establishing that inner ecosystem and maintaining it, fermented vegetables are the best. They're at the top of the of all the best, all the ones out there. I would put fermented vegetables. So, even if I'm in a lot of uh, really in a hurry, I'll have a piece of a small piece of say fish. I mean, I digest fish best of all. My blood type A, they thrive on fish, and um, then I'll just have a scoop or two of fermented vegetables, which mine usually have for like carrot. I'm using my favorite batch is um, cabbage, carrots, garlic, and ginger. So I'm actually getting four vegetables that are now much more bioavailable than nutrients in them. And um, so it's like eating more of them in just a spoonful or two. But I'm adding bacteria um, to digestive aid. And I didn't have time maybe to make greens. Like I love to have, I love it. Everybody had some greens every day. Uh, but, you know, some people with gut issues, they can't do... Um, raw foods so they do need to do cooked food so that's another individual thing but uh anyway so we're still stuck on this subject of uh, but I mean, fermented vegetables. of uniqueness they're so delicious i mean i eat you know fermented sauerkraut or kimchi or fermented pickles or whatever you know probably three or four times a day and i make my oh, own all kinds of stuff well, i hope people like, realize so like like they watch you age Tess, you've never aged. Now, uh, as long as I've known you, you look exactly the same as you did. Oh, you are years very, ago. You're very sweet. I turned fifty this year. Um, it, <laughs> it, you know, but it, it, it is. It's interesting. You know, the aging process and the quality mm -hmm. of your skin. You know, because we mm -hmm. like people only think of the skin as this beautifying thing, and you know, I, I can put things on. Well. The skin is our, you know, the largest organ in our body, right? It's the frontline defense in our immune responses. And boy, does it tell a story about what is going on inside, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. fermented foods and this probiotic thing and making sure this gut microbiome, boy, does that have an effect on your aging, your skin, just like you were talking about. And, you know, Donna, you were the one that put me on to making coconut water kefir. I make batches of coconut yeah, water every yeah. week of I, my life. And, and it is. 
changed fantastic for your skin yeah fantastic it, for your skin thank you yeah. and so when and I, it's very cleansing you know you yes. like people yeah. would tell me after i invented it and they started doing it it kind of spread like wildfire and i got feedback and they would say oh you know i don't have um my skin so clear and my period is really clean when i menstruate and then also people with joint problems said you know i don't, I don't have any knee problems i'll be 80 in three years and um that's just sort of like i think 80 years old that is such a old number but um i don't have any wrinkles either uh and I, honestly i i don't think about it very much too busy to think about it but you know i think um what is it that i'm doing that i don't have wrinkles and it it really does boil down to i think top of the list is the ripe fermented foods uh, I guess. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, you know, I mean, like you said, it's so it's so powerful. It's so powerful. But one thing I do want to say, because ferment fermentation has trended so heavily, and this gut microbiome conversation is you know more out there in the mainstream, the sort of the last mm -hmm. five ten years. There's a little bit of um, misconception about it, right? So, for example, in the United States, you will have so-called sauerkraut or pickles in the refrigerated section in the grocery store at Whole Foods at a co-op, but they actually aren't truly fermented. So because they put them near the hot dogs and the hamburgers and the deli meats and the cheeses and things like that. So you just want to make sure that if you turn it over and the minute you see vinegar and sugar and things like that, mm -hmm. it's truly mm -hmm. fermented. So you actually want sauerkraut, pickles, you know, kimchi that's actually truly fermented, like what Donna is talking about. That So it contains yeah. all of those beneficial probiotics, right? Yeah. And you know what? Today, like years ago, if you wanted those, you had to make them. Today, right. you can't, like you go in the health food stores, there's five or six companies. Great. And they sell so, it at Costco. You know, I mean, I you can do. so many different <laughs> places. Yeah, I mean, they have such, it's such great options. And if you are so, someone that loves to go to the farmer's market like I do, you can support a local small business that's making mm -hmm. their brand mm -hmm. of it. And it's really interesting because in the beginning, you're like, oh, I can't do that. That takes forever. It's actually really, really easy, you know? So mm -hmm. I think the messiest bit is chopping up all the vegetables, right? But you can use your food processor for that, right? Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid of giving it a go. And I think the most fun way to do it is do it with a bunch of friends. I always think- Did you say that again? Is the do what, right? Friends, you know? So some, you know- oh, you we'll have a party Sunday afternoon. Have like a sour yeah, right and everybody yeah, because you end up with like nine jars everybody can walk yes. out with two or three a piece yes. and it is fun and making it fun and putting on some music and you know making a sort of a day of it you know so that's often mm -hmm. what i will do i'll invite a couple of friends over we'll just spend time together we'll talk about what's going on we'll all make it and everybody walks away with a couple of jars i think that's the most fun way to do it you know mm -hmm. yeah you reminded me years ago uh and there was a um raw food center in Santa Monica. And that's exactly what we did. And we just advertised that we're going to make, you know, kind of have a party, get together. We had one to do about six tables with, you know, six or eight people around each table with a food processor at the end. And everybody walked out with whatever they had made, but everybody had to bring in um, like cabbage or so that, you know, and some people were, they might've brought in carrots or something. But anyway, uh, we didn't spend money on cabbage and carrots and stuff like all the food, but they did the work and we charged for the class. And it was so popular. It was extremely noisy, however. <laughs> but you know, I um 
So I found Nutribullet has a veggie bullet. And that's cool because you put the piece of, say, you know, piece of carrot, your carrot, or let's say a piece of cabbage into the shoot on the top. And then it shoots it out on the side, like there's a shoot, I'm using probably the wrong terms here, but out it comes on the side and you catch it in a bowl. I wish more companies uh, would do that, but have you ever tried to take um, KitchenAid? Because they have a veggie grinder, um, you know, that shreds. Yes. It's, it's an attachment. Have you ever tried that? Because when you've got a device like that where you can just make, go through three or four heads of cabbage in less than 10 minutes, that's a huge time saver. And that's what this KitchenAid, uh, this uh, veggie bullet, uh, anyway, they're real hard to get now. I think um, the last one I had somebody get was on Amazon, but they seem to be disappearing. They probably weren't very popular, but somebody yeah. needs to be thinky that way. Yeah, I mean, there there are lots of, um, obviously, you know, when I was the global spokesperson for KitchenAid blenders, so I'm very, very um, uh, aware of all of the KitchenAid um, countertops. That's why I'm asking you. I yeah, no, you no, no, probably great, you know, so the answer. Really great KitchenAid stand mixer attachments. If you have a KitchenAid stand mixer, um, they mm, have you know, a that. grinder, they have a food chopper, they have, you know, and, and then in their food processor, they have these amazing discs. So it's a shredding disc. There's a coarse, there's a fine, there's a dicer, mm -hmm. and there's other brands that have these too, right? So Breville has the sous chef food processor is seriously, I think, the best food processor in the world. Um, so mm -hmm. obviously I'm very, you know, I have, I've, I've studied a lot of appliances. I used to work as a consultant with companies, you know, so I have tried a lot of different countertop appliances. There's also very inexpensive little mini food choppers that are actually really good. So you can actually do it in small little batches if you're in a small space. If you're living alone, you don't want to make huge batches. You don't want to have huge appliances everywhere. You don't want to buy yet another thing, you know. And some of these things are, you know, $30 or $40, right? So KitchenAid's mm -hmm, got a exactly. tiny little mini food chopper that's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. There's other companies that make those little choppers. So, yeah, just work smarter, not harder. Make it easy, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, but, yeah, you, I, I'm not a fan, though. I mean, this is great for convenience, but I, and maybe you would agree with me, but in terms of the nutrition quality, I'm not a fan of buying pre-chopped stuff at the grocery store because oh, we know no. in it we slice things, the oxidization, the oxidation and yes. the degradation of nutrients begins, right? Yes, so exactly, 100% agree there. Doing mm -hmm. it at home, you're chopping, and just use those appliances. I am such mm -hmm. a kitchen appliance zealot you know because it just makes food food prep so much easier right and you know what mm -hmm. if you're someone that goes i'm on a budget i can't buy those appliances well maybe ask a friend or a family member do you mind coming over or can i just borrow that for the day so i can make my sauerkraut and like because they're probably not using it probably yeah, many right? people have the bigger size one and it's just stuck somewhere in a cabinet and they're not using it so true and you can pick things up at a steal a bargain on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or in a garage sale. I got a juicer for $20 at a garage sale because someone said, oh, my father gave that to me. I don't know what to do with it. And it was mm -hmm. a $300 juicer that had never been mm -hmm. used. So every once in a while you can pick up these bargains, you know, where you just keep an eye on stuff, right? But I think asking friends and family members is a great option if, if you're yeah. on a budget. Actually, you're reminded. You reminded me, my sister has a house down in Florida and that we go to, it's not her main home, but uh, it, way back, tucked in a cabinet, is a, uh, a KitchenAid, you know, a big one. 
And I look at that thing and I think, I got to get it home somehow. And all I have to do is buy the attachment because she never, never uses it. She bought it because somebody came for Christmas to make some stuff and asked her to buy one and she can, could afford it. And so anyway, after that one meal, it never has been used. So you just reminded <laughs> me of that. But I've thought so many times, it's just that it isn't something you can, you know, put in an airplane and is heavy. And I don't yeah, know. But those but anyway, last but anyway I sh- it would be free. I should just ship it. But you, oh, you should. Sure. <laughs> she would just give it to me to get the space in her cabinet. <laughs> anyway, I was going to ask you about hydration. Do we have time for that? Because you oh, know, I'll talk about that. That's a big one. Well, we may not have time to go into it. We don't just do another one. But what I'm thinking is that, um, you know, all these people that do react to histamine foods. Years ago, there was a book out called Your Body's Mini Cries for Water. Mm-hmm. Now, I can never pronounce the author's name. I was like, really, I didn't pronounce it, but I remember it. But he was in a, con- a concentration camp, and people weren't getting any food, and they were very sick. And he just had them drinking a lot of water, and they survived. But I do remember in that book, and just a little bit of that book, he happens to mention that when you're dehydrated, you are going to have histamine reactions. And sometimes I'll have such a busy day, I'll drink, just drink a little bit of water, like maybe start off okay, but then don't drink any. Now I'm dehydrated. So it'll be nighttime and I start wanting to itch. And I think, well, it's not that I ate something wrong. It's that I'm dehydrated. And I'll go just drink a bunch of water uh, with a little bit of salt or electrolytes in it, and then histamine reaction goes away. So I want to share that because I'm sure most people don't think about that. I never hear about that from experts in histamine, but could you talk about electrolytes and dehydration and just a few minutes on that? Yeah, I really love talking about this because it it sounds like a no-brainer, right? Because we're all taught drink fluids, you know, liquids, but most people are dehydrated. And, you know, we need our bodies, mostly water and all of our bodily fluids are saline, right? You talked about adding salt and electrolytes. Sodium is, is an electrolyte, it's a mineral electrolyte, right? So yes, we need to stay hydrated because going back to the digestion piece, we need to liquefy all our food in order for us to be able to digest and absorb it. So there's that piece. You talked about energy during our conversation, right? So we need fluids and we need water to provide energy, right? To provide that energy throughout our body. We know that carbohydrates is the body's preferred source of energy, but we need protein, healthy fats, all this sort of stuff, right? But what's interesting about the hydration piece is just first of all, just noticing, is your skin dry and itchy? Are your lips cracked? Are you feeling fatigued? All these sorts of things, right? You're already dehydrated at that point, potentially, right? Yeah, cracked, uh, dry, cracked lips. Even right. if it's getting a little de- dry, right. yeah, it's the colon. In Chinese right. medicine, the, the lower lip is right. the colon and the upper lip is the stomach. So right. I would know if my lips were getting dry that I need to start drinking drinking right. something but but what would you recommend you wouldn't just plain a water or yes yeah, so i you know i think that there's 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 three things about hydration so the first thing is we hydrate with water and water-based beverages so you know maybe herbal teas is something i really really love you know i talked about the kraut juice the kimchi key juice the coconut water key for the beak of us things like that so that's the first piece of it but the, but the other big piece about drinking is our body can only absorb so much water at a time 
time, so much water per hour. So you want to be spacing your intake of fluids throughout the day. So what we see a lot of people doing in our in our six day reset and other programs is that they will not drink water the whole day and then chug like four or five glasses of water. Well, you're not actually going to absorb and utilize all of that water. So that's one thing. The second thing is I like, you know, eating a little bit of raw foods with every meal or, and I should say, and making one meal a day a raw meal because raw fruits and vegetables, a lot of them are over 90% mineral rich water right? So you're talking about your lettuces, your cucumber, your celery, your, all these sorts of things, right? So not only there's whole studies done about this, where your body's actually able to absorb the water from raw foods faster than a glass of water, right? Or more efficiently or effectively, right? So don't discount the importance of raw foods. And then of course, you're getting those enzymes, right? Because when we cook foods, we're ostensibly dehydrating them to varying degrees, right? And we're destroying the enzymes that aid in their digestion. So that's the other piece. But I want to. I want to add this foods. The, yeah, a um, lot of people can't digest raw though, which is right. again why a blender. Food. Yeah, and a blender, you know, and right. yeah. Yeah, right. for sure, fermented foods. Totally. So these fermented yeah. foods that are raw, but they're pre-digested, so they're much yeah. more easy to digest. So ex- and and microbes to- have done the work for you. Right. So and and to your point about adding the body ecology starter to make your sauerkraut, if you do have a histamine intolerance, then that would make that more of a viable option for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, I had this tested at the University of Nebraska, but um, I made three jars with no no starter. And then three jars with starter, and I sent them over there to them, and they came back. The count of all bacteria, like the, not just more plantarum, but all of them were just millions of times higher. And so it was so interesting because I started thinking about it. Well, yes, you know, it had more lactobacillus, but it had more everything. And so you know, some of the microbes are are leaders, and other microbes follow them. And um, Dr. Leo Gallen actually coined the term Alexander organisms, meaning that like Alexander the Great was a leader that people just followed him because he was Alexander the Great. And that's how certain bacteria, uh, Lactobacillus plantarum is one of them, all the rest of them grow more and just behave better, incorporate with each other more uh, because you've got these leaders in there. Acromancia is another one. Johnsonia, he told me, was another one. Which is yeah, by that one, but still, they just are in these fermented foods. So, yeah, the yeah, conversation is fascinating, right? That's why I love what Colleen Cutcliffe and her team are doing over at Pendulum Probiotics. You know, they mm-hmm. have figured out how to grow acromancia, right? Because it has to grow in an oxygen free environment, like in the you know the lining of our gut, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that's a whole other conversation, right? But about um, hydration, you know, I think that. What's interesting about the hydration conversation is that you can be drinking all of the water and the water-based beverages and all of the raw foods, but if the water isn't going into your cells where it's needed, you can still be dehydrated. So this, this idea of true cellular hydration is a really big thing. And we're all taught to watch our sodium intake, but I don't think potassium gets enough press, gets enough airplay, right? And so sodium and potassium, they're both mineral electrolytes and they work mm-hmm. in 
consort with each other to regulate fluid balance in the body. So sodium keeps water out of the cells and potassium escorts it into the cells, right? So you've got to balance your sodium and your potassium. Going back to what Donna was saying before with those four points, and we were talking about the non-starchy vegetables, the plant foods, they're loaded with potassium, a lot of these foods, right? So going back to our coconut water is loaded with potassium. Carrot juice, if you can tolerate that, is loaded with potassium. You know, you've got your leafy greens, if you can tolerate those. You've got your cruciferous vegetables. You've got lots of avocado, if you can tolerate that. They are loaded with potassium, right? So it is, that's why we go back to that 80-20 thing we were talking about, right? Making sure that your plate, your meals, your snacks have some plant foods, some non-starchy vegetables, whatever it is that you have figured out you can tolerate, that's what should be happening. So this, this sodium potassium balance, it is a game changer in terms of hydration, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, this hydration piece and in terms of digestion, but everything, right? But, you know, going back to our skin conversation, right? Glowing skin, flushing out those toxins, like Donna was talking about, that detoxification piece, making sure that we're helping our liver offload toxins while we're sleeping and resting, you know, is just so, so key for better health. And, you know, if you buy a potassium supplement, it's way, way, it's just not enough potassium. Like it's, uh, I think, 99 milligrams in a little capsule. Uh, you would want to have at least 200. So you're definitely better off getting it from plants. I just remember how we met, Tess, our mutual friend, Selena DeLongra, who is with Selena Naturally, but she's really the, the brain and the hard work behind County Sea Salt. So that's what I cook with all the time. Me too. Me too. And that, that's exactly how we met in person. Um, yeah. We did. She's amazing. Yeah. She's so amazing. And that salt is amazing because it retains. And you know the what? There's, she has other salts too. Um, one is even higher in potassium than it is in sodium. And then there's a salt that I, salt I love that comes from Hawaii called Makai. Yeah, all these salts have a different flavor to them, and this particular salt is so clean, it comes from thousands of feet below the ocean floor, and I don't know how to get it up, but I love that salt. It is crystally, you know, it's not fine. Yes. It's fine, grind, uh, Celtic salt, and then little crystals of salt, and my kai is a crystal salt, so you need a grinder to uh, But the crystals retain more of the brine. They contain more of the minerals, right, and retain more of. Oh, it, I didn't right? know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I learned this from Selena. I have to so shout out to Selena, right? And they sent me very, very detailed third-party testing of salts. Oh, yeah. A fascinating conversation. But I mean, to me, I've always got a, a whole bunch of salts in my house. I, I think salts are like fine wines. You know, I don't. Mm -hmm. really yeah, me too. And olive oils. Olive things. oils. I mean, <laughs> I, I have all different kinds of olive. You know, and it's just they're so different in flavor. To your point, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, you're really taking in that high quality salt. And I do, you know, to your point about salt. The salt, the quality of the salt you're using really does matter, right? So this process. Well, because everybody, everywhere people say, oh, pink salt, you know. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that that salt, the Himalayan salt, doesn't really come from the Himalayans. It's really from Pakistan. And over there, they, and Selena taught me this too, because. Same. Yeah, they, you know, people said that, um, well, it's from the ocean, the Celtic salt, so it's dirty because the ocean's polluted. They constantly scream 
and it's not dirty, but also this pink salt. Um, so the, the Pakistani salt that, you know, they don't regulate their, these mines, these salt mines, everybody's selling it because it got real popular. So she has every single salt she has, you can be sure is excellent quality. And so she has a pink uh, Himalayan salt also, if you want that. But uh, it's cool. Like you said, I have probably at least five of her different salts. And I just intuitively reach for one when I'm in the mood. But the, the Hawaiian salt, uh, the um, Makai salt, I do put it in a little shaker, a little grinder thing, and put it on my food because uh, I it, it really has a flavor you can taste. Uh, salt we get in processed foods is the dangerous salt. They keep hearing, don't eat this salt. You have these genes that are not high blood pressure and so on. It's that salt, not this kind of salt that we're talking about. It's the problem that would raise blood sugar. So I just want to make that clear too. Uh, somewhere back in my older podcast, I have a, uh, a podcast with Selena. So I encourage people to go back and look at that. Yeah, but she's Tess, fantastic. She's fantastic. Yeah, she, but again, about the sodium piece, again, it's about knowing what's appropriate for you. So just coming back to this idea of bioindividuality, what mm -hmm. are the appropriate levels? Yes, we get general nutrition guidelines from, you know, the FDA, we get them from the USDA, we get them from the World Health Organization, blah, blah, blah. But they're general guidelines, right? So going back to this bioindividuality and knowing what's appropriate for you. So for example, if you have a specific health condition, like like, um, you know, you have migraines or you have a kidney condition or something like that, your sodium levels, for example, and certain other things will be a little bit different than somebody that doesn't have those conditions. For example, it's just one example, but this is why this bioindividual component is so important. Well, we should probably stop there because the two of us <laughs> could go on forever. Um, maybe I'll put this out in part one and part two, but um I hope people listening to this have picked up a lot of points, uh, too many probably to remember, so listen to this more than one time, please. Share it if it's helped you and you think it'll help other people, I'm sure it will. And also, Tess, how do people find you? Let's say they want recipes, they want to take some of the courses and everything, to tell everybody how to, to get to you over there in Australia. Yeah. So, I mean, I split my time between, still split my time between Melbourne and LA. So I'm half American, half Australian. So, um, but you can find me at theblendergirl.com. We have a really active Facebook page where I share lots of recipes every day, but there's all, lots, all, all the recipes are gluten-free and vegan, don't have any refined sugars. There's a body ecology section of the website where if you're looking for body ecology friendly website, uh, friendly recipes, there's tons of great recipes there. If you are interested in really diving deep into this bioindividuality component and really figuring out what works for you. Um, we lead our 60-day reset, my team of dietitians and I, um, four times a year. So you can learn more about that at skinny60.com. Um, say that again, at what? At skinny60, so S-K-I-N-N-Y 60, S six zero dot com six zero okay. and skinny is not about an obsession with weight so it's all about getting the information the skinny on what works for you that's what oh, that means because skinny is a very repelling word for me and i think we need to redefine what that means weight is only one measure of better health it's only one marker of better health 
right? So we're looking at your gut health. It's a digestive reset, right? So I know a lot of people in the body ecology community have done our program. It's body ecology friendly. I use a lot of the same principles. Um, and so, but the, but the big key thing is this bio-individual component, right? Is I have a team of dietitians who lead the program with me and our lead dietitian at the moment specializes in FODMAPs and histamines and food intolerances and oxalates a lot of the stuff that Donna was talking about on this podcast, right? So it's really important that it, the program happens live because we want to get to know you. We want to give you the information, but we want to help you apply it for your specific situation. And I think that's the difference with that program. So you can learn more all, all about that at my website. So I've also got another website, thedecadentdetox.com. And so we have a 14-day cleanse, a seven-day program. If you want to do some juicing, but you want to do it the responsible way, you want to learn about making savory smoothies and juices and some of the things we've been talking about, there's also that community as well. There's a lot of crossover between the communities, people sort of, you know, come around Around and do quite a, a few different things but yeah I do a lot of Facebook lives too if you just want to come and, and sort of hear you know more about I'll, I'll sort of drop a few little nutrition you know hints and tips a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about but I think that going to your point Donna if you're feeling overwhelmed listening to this it does help to have recipes that help you put some of these things into practice right and really mm -hmm. easy and that's, I think, what I do on my Facebook Lives quite a bit every week is just share some really easy little things along the way. So you can always join me there as well. Mm -hmm. They do want recipes. Sometimes I'll, you know, take a picture of something I'm eating for lunch or something and I'll put it up on Instagram. And the first thing people says is, how do you make that? How much of this? How much of that? They want specifics. I'm just saying, here's an example of a body culture meal. And I'm not even sure how I made it. I mean... I don't measure things. I just intuitively cook, but. Well, I, I, was I was, I used to cook that way. And then when I did my cookbooks with Penguin Random House, the blender girl, oh, yeah. your smoothies and the perfect blend. I've got three books with Penguin Random House. Boy, was I trained, you know, we measure everything, level measure yeah. everything. All my recipes have been tested over 50 times before they're put on my website, <laughs> my programs or in my cookbooks because you want to make sure that they work, right? That's mm -hmm. my pet peeve when I make some recipes. They don't work. And it's like, no, they have to work, right? So if you level measure the ingredients, you just follow the instructions, the recipes work and they're really, really easy, right? So definitely head over to theblendergirl.com. Well, it's in there. And Tess, first of all, thank you. And thank you for the years of support for uh, telling people about body ecology and understanding it. I'm so grateful for that. But oh, my body ecology for... changed my life. I had a first edition copy of your book. And uh, yes, and we, big you know, and old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, years, decades ago. And, um, you know, I had, had a, a lot of the same history. I started, a lot, I had a macrobiotic background. I tried a lot of different kinds of oh, diets. Yeah. You know, a lot of the different thing, conclusions that I had come to and the things that I were doing were so many of the things that were in body ecology. So, no, it totally changed my life. And I have sent thousands of people to body ecology and it has changed their lives as well. So it is hands mm, down the best anti-candida protocol in the world and so great for autoimmune conditions and health conditions. And, you know, even if you just want to achieve better health, it's an amazing protocol and I, I just love it so much. So, yeah, it's great. So you're just reminding me of something. I have to say this before we get off. Um, so that book that I wrote years ago was to help people with candida. And then it became what people call paleo, just very low carb and so on. But um, 
fast forward somewhere along the way, I realized that it had to be adapted if you had a viral infection. And so if you get like the, uh, the seasonal flu, or like I've even had people, like one doctor who was in a wheelchair with MS, I told him about it. And about six weeks later, he was in the, out of that wheelchair and back to work already. It works really fast. So I, I began developing an antiviral diet instead of anti-candida. And within a two weeks, uh, Tessa, I'm going to send it over to you. And then uh, because then COVID came along and long haulers. And um, for all these years, you know, people with a chronic fatigue, we realized that their symptoms are the exact same thing as the long haulers. And so I think the book is really excellent explaining what's going on with these viral infections, why you are a long hauler, why you have chronic fatigue. But most of all, it's exactly how you have to eat. Not for long, four to six days. Uh, but it is, it's, it's a stricter version of body culture, even though it's just a very short period of time because it starts working so quickly that your symptoms go away. I always like to explain to people, think of a virus like uh, a dragon and it's fire breathing and it, and you know, Epstein-Barr, all the herpes viruses, CMV, they, these viruses never go away. They have a way to, the ability to cloak themselves from the immune system. So the immune system never sees they're there. So I always like people to think, okay, you've got this dragon, he's living in his cave. And as long as he stays there, fine, then no problem. But uh, when your body comes to acidic, and this is the minerals and things we're talking about, um, then the virus comes out of, the dragon comes out of the cave, breathing fire. And then you got to get it back in. So believe it or not, you can do that very quickly within four to ten, uh, 10 days. If you're a long hauler, though, if you have chronic fatigue, the dragon can come back out at different times when you uh, get to become too acidic. Then you'll need to go back on it for four days or something. But I'm really proud of this. I think it's going to uh, be a game changer again in the world. And so I'm going to send it over to you. And then your what you're doing is perfect for, like, what are you going to eat for the four days? Well, there are plenty. There are certain things. And what you're doing well, I can't wait for you to see it. And, oh, uh, I'm so maybe, excited. Yeah, maybe you'll have a recipe book or a course or something on how to use what you know, because it's exactly what you need to do to get the virus back in the, the dragon back I mean, in the cave. I, yeah, definitely send it over. But I mean, I do think that's the key to making sustainable changes is you've got to love what you're eating. Healthy food has to be delicious and fun so that you're excited to eat it, you know? And I think that's why there's almost 2 million people on the Blender Girl Facebook page, right? And why there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of cookbooks have been sold. It's because people love the food, you know, and the flavors. I love putting fabulous flavors together. Things have to be dimensional and delicious and beautiful and the textures and the colors and everything has to be gorgeous or things just aren't going to stick right? So really, really important stuff. So uh, yes, happy to help you with that. I love sharing recipes. So thank you so much and for having me on. What it's a lovely very plant-based, as you said, plant-rich. And, um, you know, one of the things that um, the COVID virus attacks is the mitochondria. And what the mitochondria need to get back online again are the polyphenols and flavonols and so on in plants. So this is a very plant-based diet because you got to get your mitochondria producing energy. Again. Yeah, so I mean, there are energy factories. The mitochondria yeah, exactly. are energy factories in our body, right? So what do they love the most? Plants, plants, plants. Plants, right? plants, so plants. So we're on the right path. I mean, we're, we're the kind of people you want to follow, everybody. So 
Uh, Tess, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this, and we thank will to be continued. We'll be Always a pleasure. Soon. Always great conversation. Thank you. Bye. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws, and about our amazing, effective products, go to our website, bodyecology.com. Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening. And here's to a happier, healthier world.